Welcome back to RUF. If you are new here, you need to know that we are very thankful that you are here with us tonight. So welcome. And I always say this, but wherever you are with Jesus, you're welcome here. Whether you're struggling or whether you're doing great, we want this to be a safe place for you to come and experience um, the grace and mercy of Christ. So welcome. Uh, We've got this week... And then next week is our last large group, and then the next Monday we're going to close out the year uh, with a party. So I can't believe it's gone that quickly, but we are uh, at the end of this semester almost. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Yes, that's not Acts. We're taking a break, and I'm not sure we're going to get back to Acts. I'm still deciding. We've only got one more chapter. We'll see. Uh, Let me say this, too. Last Tuesday, so not even a week ago, uh, Matt Curlin called me and wanted me to speak in Convo on Thursday. Some of you probably got a message about that, but not everybody because it was really last minute. But if you came out on last Thursday... I really am thankful for you being there and for the support. So that was really neat to see some RUF folks and some familiar faces so that everybody wasn't reading the paper and sleeping. So thank you. (laughs) Anyway, I just wanted to say that I really appreciated you coming out, those that did and those that got the the email or the word about it. Uh, Yeah, we're going to look at Mark chapter 14 tonight. This is really one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Uh, And maybe it's familiar uh, to you. But we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 tonight. This is God's word. Let me read. Mark 14, 1 through 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you, and whenever you, whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body before my burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Father, we are a weak and needy people. Uh, We need you tonight. We need you to come uh, and to teach us. Father, we need your spirit to apply this passage to our hearts. We need you 
through your spirit to bring us to repentance. We need your spirit, uh, Father, to help us see how great the Father's love is. Father, because our minds are often like leaky vessels, we might know the gospel, we might have heard it all of our lives, but oh, how quickly we forget it day after day, moment after moment. And so please remind us of who we are tonight, but also remind us of who Jesus is and the good news of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at verse 1. Mark tells us here that the religious establishment had wanted to kill Jesus for some time. There, this is, had been building uh, up in the gospel of Mark. And now at this part of the story in the gospel, they can't contain themselves. I mean, they hate Jesus and they want to kill him. The tensions were extremely high at this point in time. But then look at verse 2. It says, The chief priests and the teachers of the law had to bide their time because it was Passover. That meant there were lots of people in the city. That meant if they messed with Jesus, that it was all going to break loose and more than likely there would be a riot that would start because of the arrest of Jesus. And so they decided to lay low for a little longer. And then just at this point in the gospel, Mark introduces this story. And I don't know about you, but even as I was reading, and if you look at some of your Bibles, they'll have that heading, Jesus anointed at Bethany. You'll see a break there. Then you'll see a break on down after uh, verse 9, Judas to betray Jesus. And so it seems like a pause in the narrative doesn't it? Seems a little out of place. We're talking about these people hating Jesus and then boom, Mark throws in this story about this woman with the alabaster flask. Well, it's not really that out of place. Because oftentimes what the gospel writers do and what Mark is doing here is he is setting a contrast for us. Do you see it? The hatred of the religious leaders set up right next to the love and devotion of this woman that we read about in the story. And so what we see from this passage is that the life of Jesus really pushes us in one of two directions. Betrayal or devotion. The woman is given as a picture or as an illustration of Devotion and Judas is given as a picture or illustration of betrayal. When confronted with the extreme nature of Jesus and who he is, the only two possibilities open to our hearts is a warm, deeply committed devotion to him or a sinister plot to overthrow him. This passage shows us the nature of both. And we're going to look at both of those tonight. First of all, if you have an outline, you'll see the devotion of the woman. The story begins with Jesus at Bethany, dining at this table at the home of a man named Simon the leper. Now, most likely this was someone that Jesus had healed in his ministry at some point. But here's what I want you to notice is 
It is intentional. Mark, again, in the Bible, there's no just wasted words. Like, he could have just said Simon, right? But he makes a point to tell us he was dining with Simon the leper. Why does he do that? Why? Because Mark is reminding us, and you look throughout all of the Gospels and you'll see, he's reminding us who Jesus associated with. Jesus ran with the down and outers. Jesus ran with the outcasts. Jesus ran with the people that everyone else was running away from. If you are familiar with uh, lepers back in that day, you remember if you had leprosy and someone would get near to you, you would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, away from me. That is who Jesus is hanging out with. These outcasts. And so he's reclining at the table and the folks at this party, they witness something that they've never seen before in their entire life. I mean, this is a jaw-dropping moment here. Okay, get into the scene. In walks this woman. They're eating. Imagine us eating in this room. And here comes in the woman from the back door and she has this very expensive jar of perfume, most likely a, fairly, a family heirloom. And she breaks this jar and pours it on Jesus. And when the passage says very costly, again, that's intentional. It was very costly. It was 300 denarii, which meant, which meant that that was a year's wages back in that day. Let me translate. Today, that would be like you going in and laying $30,000 at Jesus' feet. That's what the picture is here. Listen to what one commentator said. A beautiful quote. In a moment of quiet commitment, she had resolved that Jesus should receive her most precious possession. In gratitude for the past, she poured out her future and her security on Jesus. Then look at verses 6 and 7. Look at what Jesus says. He praises her for her actions because she had put him before everything else in her life. And then look at that. I love that phrase. He says, verses 6 and 7, she has done a beautiful thing. And then he says this phrase that's kind of odd that we need to look at. The poor you will always have with you you can help them anytime, but you won't always have me. So what's up with that? Is Jesus saying, I don't care about the poor? Is he saying to the disciples, don't worry about the poor? Is he saying to us, don't worry about the poor? Absolutely not. Why? Scripture interprets Scripture. And we know in other places of Scripture, that's not what Jesus says. We know the Bible is very serious about giving and serving the poor. So what does he mean here by saying this? Here's what Jesus is saying. Is that the richness that his death would bring was more important than anything else in the world. And this woman got that. She understood what was going on. And here's the irony. Is her gift really was a gift for the poor, wasn't it? You see, this woman here got Jesus. 
And here's what I mean. Read the Gospels. Read the Bible. And you know even his disciples. Jesus keeps saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go to the cross. And what do the disciples say? I don't think so. That's not what I signed up for. Nah, Jesus, I don't want to hear any more about suffering and death. This woman had heard Jesus teach about what was going to happen to him, and she believed it. Look at verse 8. She she was anointing him for his burial. You see, this woman understood that in a few days, Jesus was going to hang on a cross and going to be crucified. He was going to become poor so that you and I could become rich. And then look at what Jesus, how he summarizes the beauty of this woman's actions. And I love that phrase too in verse 8. She did what she could. Kent Hughes is a commentator and pastor and he tells the most wonderful story about his wife Barbara and their son Kent, Kent Jr. Barbara had won at this party a recipe box. And it was all decorated up. It was uh, kind of had become a conversational piece in their family. And Barbara had come home from this party with this recipe box and actually spent hours writing out a recipe. She had all her recipes kind of thrown in a drawer. And she writes them. It took her hours to write them all out on a card, organize them, put them in this recipe box. And her son, Kent, is watching all of this. And so what's he saying? This means a whole lot to my mom, this recipe box. Barbara's birthday came around, and her friends took her out for lunch. They went out for lunch. She comes back. The recipe box is gone. She automatically says, Kent has the recipe box. And so she starts to get angry inside. She starts to get upset, and she's ready to... Kent, where's the box, you know? And about that time, Kent pops around the kitchen, around the corner, into the kitchen, and he has his hands behind his back. He's smiling from ear to ear, eyes wide open. And he says, he pulls this box around. Water is dripping behind him. Pulls it around, and the recipe box is soaking wet. And he says, Mom, here's the recipe box. Happy birthday. I knew that you loved this box. Kent had actually scraped all the decorations and paint and all that off of it. It was soaking wet. And the thing is, all the recipes had been thrown away and the trash was picked up for the day. But she has this recipe box. And she opens it up and it's lined in aluminum foil. And when she opens the box up, she finds three things. A picture of Kent a black plastic alligator, and a nickel. Kent's most precious and treasured possessions. She says now that if there was a fire in their house, that the first thing she would take, family photos and the recipe box. Why? Because it was a gift given from pure, innocent love. You see, Jesus has a lot of strange things in his treasury. He's got widow's pennies. He's got cups of cold water. 
He's got ruined recipe boxes. He's got other things like broken alabaster vases. And my question tonight is, does he have anything of yours? Does he have anything of mine? You see, clearly, this woman, if I'm honest, can I be honest? She saw something in Jesus that if I'm honest with you, I haven't seen yet. I just haven't. Yes, I'm the campus minister, but I don't think I've seen this. I don't think Jesus means this much to me. What was it that was so precious to Jesus that would make her give everything to just be able to lay $30,000 and say, Jesus, thank you. This is it. This is all I got. You know what? Let me be honest again. If I was at that party and that woman walked in that door and did that, you know what I would say? Maybe you would say it too. Who's the freak? Little too fanatical for me. Little too over the top. What was it that she saw in Jesus? Two things. One, she knew who he was. She knew that he was the creator of the universe. She knew that he was Lord of all and that he demanded her total loyalty and allegiance. She knew that he was God. And secondly, she knew who she was. She knew that she was a sinner that desperately needed Jesus. She knew that she was needy. She knew how desperate she was and how desperately that she needed grace. She knew that Jesus was her only hope. Here's a principle. Love and devotion towards Jesus is a direct result of having been loved by Jesus. Love and devotion towards Jesus is a direct result of having been loved by him. You know the reason why she was able to be this extravagant? With him, it's because she knew that Jesus had loved her so extravagantly. What about us? What about you? Are you willing to spend like this on Jesus? Is he this beautiful to us? Is he this preeminent in our lives? And could the reason be that he's not... Beautiful is because we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten the price that had to be paid to redeem us from our sin and brokenness. Mark Rick, he's the football coach, if you're any, any UGA Georgia fans in here. He's the coach for the University of Georgia for their football team. They have a daughter that's adopted from the Ukraine named Anya. But you need to know something about Anya. Anya, when she was born, was born with this gross facial deformity. So bad that she was hard to look at. 
Her parents, for obvious reasons, right after she was born, dropped her off at the local orphanage. The statistics said that Anya would die there, that no one would ever adopt her, no one would ever want her. And then in walked the Rick family from the United States. And out of all the children in the orphanage, guess who they pick? They pick Anya. Do you see it? That's the gospel. Do you see the picture of the gospel? You see, we're Anya. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we were hard to look at because of our sin and because of our brokenness. But while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our sins, as Ethan read earlier, God came down and by His grace He snatched us up. And He took us into His family. And now He delights over us. Look at verse 9. This woman got that, okay? She got that picture. And so Jesus was beautiful to her. And in verse 9 it says that wherever the gospel is preached, what? This story will be told in memory of her. You know what that is saying? It's saying that this story is part of the gospel because this is what the gospel does to you when you get it. When you get what Jesus has done, this is what you do. You go to his feet and you say, here it is, Jesus. Here's everything I got. It's yours because you have given me everything you've got. And saved me. If we get that, that picture that has been painted with that adoption because it's the picture of the gospel, you know what? We'll gladly give Jesus first place in our lives. And you know what else will probably happen? We'll probably gladly lay down our most precious possessions, just like this woman. Secondly, let's, not only do we see here a picture of devotion, but we also see a picture of betrayal. Look at verses 4 and 5. Mark says that some of those who were present were angry. And they were saying, what a waste. I mean, the perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. And then look at verse 5. It says they scolded her. Listen. Nobody was worried about the poor. You want to know how we know? The parallel account of this story is John chapter 12. If you turn there, you don't have to now. You know that the man leading the charge against this woman was none other than Judas himself. Judas was the keeper of the money bag. He did not care about the poor. He cared about himself and he reached, in reaching his own hand into the money bag and getting what was in there. That's why he wanted the costly perfume. This woman was obviously humiliated. And the disciples are thinking, Jesus is going to get her. Surely Jesus is going to be on our side. But then, can you imagine how shocked they were when they see Jesus' response 
And he actually defends her and says, she has done a beautiful thing. She has done what she could. Back off. Then look at verse 10. All these little words in Scripture that are significant, particularly if you read it in context. Notice the word then. Verse 10. It was this action. Then. Referring like it was this event of the woman pouring this on Jesus' head that actually pushed Judas right over the edge. He was so embarrassed to be associated with Jesus because of this, because he couldn't stand the fact that Jesus would accept this woman's worship. The one thing that Judas could not stand or could not tolerate was wholehearted devotion to Jesus for no other reason than for the simple fact because she loved him so much. Jesus was so sickened by the response that he goes out and betrays Jesus for pennies. You know, Judas' sin was selling Jesus. That's what was going on. To betray Jesus is to follow him until it costs you. It's not that Judas didn't have enough faith. Judas never had any faith at all. Judas never made any kind of surrender. Judas was a manager of God, not a servant of God. And the difference is this. A manager of God follows Jesus until the going gets tough. And then when it looks like it's going to cost you something, then you sell Jesus off like a stock that stopped performing for you. And that's exactly what Judas does. He sowed Jesus because he wasn't useful to him anymore. Look down if you have your Bible to verse 18. This is an interesting part of this passage. Jesus later says to the disciples, One of you is going to betray me. Then look at verse 19. What did the disciples say? Every one of them said what? Is it me? What does that tell you? Every single one of them knew that they were capable of betraying Jesus. All of them. You see, the difference between Judas and Christians is not that he fell and blew it big time and we don't. The difference is, well, the reality is we're just like Judas. And the difference is this. Judas had no place to go with his failure. How do we know? Well, he committed suicide, which revealed that he had no place to take his failure. But Christians do. See, that's the only difference. It's not that... He betrayed Jesus and you're never going to betray him because you're never going to do something like that. No. The difference is the gospel says that when you betray Jesus, that you've got some place to take your broken, wounded, weak heart straight to the foot of the cross and receive forgiveness and love and mercy and grace. Do you feel like a failure tonight? Have you blown it big time? 
Have you done things this year that you never thought you'd do in your whole life? And you are just beating yourself up day after day. You're stuck in the guilt and in the filth of your sin, thinking that there's no way out. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and receive rest. Come to me for forgiveness and mercy and love. That's the gospel. You see, the gospel is cheer up. You're a whole lot worse than you think. But cheer up. The good news of Jesus is greater than you could ever imagine. You know, the parables or the stories in the gospel really invite one thing. They invite us, and one of their purposes is for us to ask this. Who are we in the story? Who are you? Are you Judas? Is that who you identify with? Where when Jesus isn't working for him, for you, you sell him off like a stock that's not performing? Or are you like the woman who sees Jesus as the number one in your life? So beautiful that you're willing to spend like she spent on him any time. If we don't identify with a woman, maybe it's because that we don't know who we are. Maybe it's because we don't really understand what Jesus has had to do to redeem us from our sin. Do you understand the gospel? If we really understood it at the depth of who we are, we would all fall down on our faces right now and weep. Not because we're sad, but because we're so overjoyed that someone has paid the price for our sin. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive all of us. Forgive me. For not really... loving you uh, the way you deserve to be loved, not really seeing the depth of my own heart, not really seeing the incredible grace and mercy that you give us. Father, help that message to stick. And may that message change us. May we never be the same. May it cause us to hate our sin. May it cause us to love others and not be judgmental towards them because we know our own heart. May it cause us to put you number one in every area of our lives, from our checkbook to our computer to our relationships and friendships, everything. Father, please come and do a work. It takes your spirit. We can't change ourselves. And so we ask you to change us. Help us to worship you now with Hearts of gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.